Well, church, the last few weeks we've been in Romans 12, primarily, with one break to Joshua for two weeks. In Romans 12, the theme we've been tracing is how biblical clarity of doctrine leads to unity in the body of Christ, which leads to charity in the culture at large. So clarity leads to unity, which leads to charity. And that's the theme I'm going to pursue for the next few weeks. But today, uh, the, the sermon outline in the worship uh, guide has been replaced. I'm going to do something very different today in that regard. Uh, I believe that evil was visited upon our city this week in such a nature that in 20 years or more, when someone says to you, where were you? When you first heard about nine people who were murdered at Emmanuel AME in Charleston in June of 2015, you remember right right away. Um, so we need to mourn. We need to lament. I also want us to remember as the people of God. We live in an age of continuous news information, which tends to sometimes stupefy us or, or numb us to the realities of life. And so when one issue is replaced by another, by another, by another, you sometimes get lost in what is happening. And when it happens several times every week, we lose the ability, I, I fear, we lose the ability to empathize and to feel hurt to be kindly sympathetic, which the Bible says we're supposed to be kindly sympathetic to the victims. But this did not happen in Lagos, Nigeria, where Boko Haram is seizing young ladies. This did not happen in Aleppo, Syria, where ISIS is beheading people. It did not happen in eastern Ukraine, where an autocrat named Putin is killing people. This happened in our city. This happened to people at a church in our city who are involved in a Bible study and praying in the name of Jesus. And so we, we remember these people this morning. Um, let me just read the names. Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lance, DePayne Middleton Doctor, Clementa Pinckney, Twanza Sanders, Daniel Simmons, Sr., Sharonda Singleton, and Myra Thompson. So we remember, and our, our hearts grieve for them. And so this morning, I want to go to 1 John and make some comments. And in 1 John... This book is written to a church, and you have to study First John in paragraphs. There's not a, a, a traceable theme. It's paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. But, but John is writing to the church that is fighting against heresies from within and without and desertions from within. And it is a difficult time. And there were a group of people that we frequently refer to called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics said that there is a God, but he's or she is undefinable, and the, the thing that this God would ever become a man is 
horrendous because the earth was made by a fallen angel and the earth has no order to, to sing as we sang in here just a few minutes ago. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair would make a Gnostic laugh or shake his head in disgust. And there's another group in the early church called the Docetics who said that Jesus was a great teacher and he may have been somehow related to God, but he just appeared to have a body. He did not have a real body of flesh and blood. So there's no real historic sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. He is the phantom God, the phantom ghost God. And so in the midst of this, 1 John is written, and I love the first four verses of 1 John because it is a body blow to heresy. And it elevates the great name of God and the person of Christ. So let me just read it. That which we was, was from the beginning, okay, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and which we've touched with our hands. So it's from the beginning, it's eternal, eternal God, and we've touched him. It's an it's, it's a uppercut to the Gnostics and the, and the Docetic people right out, right out of the gate. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Stop. This eternal life was with the Father. There was never a time when he was not. Behold the glory of Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that you read that and you say, it is all about the strong reality of Christ. And let me say that since I heard the news Thursday morning, I am thankful for the messages that have poured forth from Emmanuel AME. Almost every day I will click on the BBC, the British Broadcast Corporation, their website, and, and since Wednesday morning, every headline has been about Charleston, South Carolina, and the BBC, which is read by millions and millions and millions and millions and untold millions of people around the world. So yesterday I clicked on it, and this is a, a, the, the lead story, verbatim quote. In a remarkable moment of courtroom drama, some of the relatives of the nine people shot dead at a North or at a Charleston church spoke directly to Dylan Roof, the 21-year-old accused of murdering their loved ones. While he stood impassively looking ahead, one by one they told him that they forgave him. Close quote. And then they showed the picture of the person who'd been murdered, and it gave a statement verbatim from their relative. Let me just read a couple. Nadine Collier, the daughter of Ethel Lane, said, quote, I just want everyone to know I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgave, forgive you, and I forgive you. Next was Anthony Thompson, it said, who was a pastor in the Anglican Church. In North America, the husband of Myra Thompson, quote, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent of your sin. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ, so that he can change you, close quote. Elena Simmons, the granddaughter of Daniel Simmons, 
quote, although my grandfather and other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof, what everyone has said, this is proof, everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived and loved and their legacies will live in love so hate will not win, close quote. And then the BBC interviewed a young man named Charles Singleton who plays baseball at the Charleston Southern University, whose mother, Sharonda Singleton, was, was killed, and his sister was standing with him. It's very interesting. Just what the BBC correspondent says, do you have anything you want to say? And he said this. He says, we, we forgive this, this young man. And, and the correspondent is taken aback. He says, you know, your mother's been dead less than 24 hours. How can you say you forgive him? He said this, because love is stronger than hate. And then there's a woman standing to his right. It wasn't his sister. I think it was a family member. And she said, is there anything you want to say? And she said, yes. She said, Miss Middleton taught us to forgive. God is a forgiving God, so we have no choice. And I'm, I'm I, I, I'm sitting there reading this verbatim on the BBC website that's going to be read by millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and tens of millions. I'm thinking, what a testimony to the cross. What a testimony. And then I thought about the one billion Muslims, one billion, who are this just started Ramadan three days ago. And Ramadan church is, is something Muslims do every year. It's one of the five pillars of Islam. And, and for one month, you fast from sun up to sundown. You don't, if you smoke, you don't smoke. You don't participate in anything. You don't drink water. You don't eat. And then, man, when that sun goes down, it's time to eat. But they do that for one month to win the favor of Allah. And to somehow get in his good graces. And to somehow, in the great balance scale in the sky, maybe tip it just a little bit in their favor so they may have the hope of going to some type of heaven. And then they read this and they say, this makes no sense apart from the Jesus reality. One billion Muslims, many, 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 read BBC. So I'm deeply thankful that the gospel of grace has been spoken of. It's very interesting. We could go Saturday. There was a call to prayer in Charleston. I went to the Coliseum, and it was very well done. And people cried out to God, God, have mercy on our land, on our city. God, have mercy. And we heard a great testimony from the governor of Louisiana. And then three days later, this happens. And I'm going, you know, I, why? I don't know why. But I will say the gospel has poured out. So I thank God for the, the witness of these people at Ebenezer AME. Emmanuel AME, excuse me. So the, the second statement, 1 John 1, verse 5. A verse I love to just think about. It's just a small verse. And this is the testimony that, that we have from him, and we proclaim to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is 
effulgent splendor. God is purity in his triune glory. God is whole and full of mercy. God is light. All the synonyms and the glorious thoughts about light. And in him there's no shred of darkness. I think about one of my favorite quotes by Jonathan Edwards, and he says, when you contemplate the character of God and his gifts, he said, God's gifts are the rays. God is the sun. God's gifts are the raindrops. God, in his triune glory, is the fountain. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But see, church, the book of 1 John says, if there's light, then there's darkness. There was a darkness that was in the land, and the darkness dealt with deceiving people and denying the reality of Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, to lead you astray, to lead you to the brink of destruction, to, to push you over the edge. They were denying the reality and the beauty and the grandeur of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1, bless Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For, for many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. John says, there's darkness There's glorious light, and there's darkness. And one of the, the incredible statements in the Sermon on the Mount is made in John chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, where Christ says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is sound, the whole body will be flooded with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be flooded with darkness. And if that which is to be light within you is darkness, Jesus says, how vast, how horrific is that darkness? And so there's light, there's darkness. And my, when I started reading Thursday morning, and going through articles, and since it's been confirmed, my thought, one of the first articles I read is that he sat through a prayer meeting and a Bible study for almost an hour before he killed the people. My thought was, how do you sit through a Bible study, hear the name Jesus spoken, hear of the glories of Christ, be, be greeted by the people? How do you do that and then kill people? And I just stopped and I said, there are seeds of destruction in my life. No matter how long you've walked with the Lord, there are seeds of destruction in your life. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is one of my favorite writers. And in World War II, he was a highly decorated officer for the Soviet Army. And at the, near the end of the war, he wrote one letter where there was one sentence and one letter where he questioned the wisdom of Joseph Stalin. That's all he did. The letter readers read it, kicked it up the chain of command, he spent 10 years in a gulag for writing one sentence as a highly decorated artillery officer. In the gulag, he contracted cancer. He survived cancer. 
part of the cancer treatment was his physician was a Baptist physician who told him of Christ. And he came to the Lord. And he wrote a book that won the Nobel Prize called The Gulag. And this is what he says. He says, it was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts Inside us, it oscillates with the years, even within hearts overwhelmed by evil. One small bridgehead of good is retained, and even in the best of our hearts, there remains a small corner of evil. I would say that is an incredibly precise theological statement. He says that even, even in evil, evil, evil hearts, there remains some semblance of good because people are made in the image of good, of God, and, and they're able to express grace or not, kindness to people. Even Hitler loved his mother. And he says in, in, in the, the hearts that are the, are, have been changed by God and have walked with the Lord for decades after decades, there still remains a small corner of evil. I am never, ever done with sin. And so, so I, I look at this and I say to myself that, that we open doors. When I, when I go to the Lord and I get on my face and I study the Bible and I plead for the empowering presence of the triune God. I plead for the power of the Holy Spirit. I am opening myself up to the one who can change my heart. When I walk in repentance, when I confess my sins. Conversely, when I open the door to evil, evil can come in. And I believe evil travels along well-worn paths according to our age or family history or even our culturally-laden environment. There's some people here who struggle with anger. They just struggle with anger. Some don't. Some lust. Some not so much. Some gossip. Some coveting and envy. Some malicious tongues. We all have them. And the issue is, know your enemy and know yourself. And do not open the doors. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 that sin wages war against your welfare and your soul. It's interesting, we've been studying Romans, and, and Romans 1 through 11 is all about what the Lord has done for us and the person and work of Christ that we are secure in Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that having been justified by faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that God has poured His Spirit into our heart, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, that we are secure, that Jesus intercedes for us in heaven, that we are in Him. And yet verse 12 says, I beseech you by the tender mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And then, and then he just talks about what we're to do. And we get down to verse 9, we'll recover next week, and he starts giving these exhortations. And he says in verse 9, he says, uh, let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. 
cling to what is good. And I, I study this. We're securing Christ, and yet Paul is pleading, go hard. Go hard. And he uses words that are not passe words. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. And he says, to be disgusted, hate the putrid nature of sin. And, and cling, cling to the good. Because we're at war. That's, that is your response. And so he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Church, walk in the light. And he says this, verse 7. This, I've got to tell you, this, this verse hit me recently. I went, hmm. But, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Just stop. I'll read it again. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Now, if, if I were going to finish that sentence, I would say we have fellowship with the triune God. Listen to what John says. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, so I, I just read that and, and the force hit me. I, I need the body of Christ. I need men and women in my life who encourage and correct and challenge and love and teach me the way of the Lord. I need the church. I need to be in fellowship with people who, 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 who walk with me. And in the midst of, of Desperate desertions and heretical teachings and persecutions, John says, love each other. Walk with each other. Be members of one another. A great day is coming when the Lord will come from heaven and take us home. John, 1 John chapter 3 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. A great day is coming when we'll see the Lord face to face. And, and so our cry is, as we contemplate heaven, Lord, change me. Don't leave me where I am. Let me open doors to the light and not the darkness. Let me open doors to that which is pleasing unto you and gives honor and glory unto you. Years ago, there was a movie where a guy named Darth Vader says, come over to the dark side. The dark side. The Bible says, walk in the light by the Holy Spirit. This is Father's Day. And happy Father's Day. John Owen, my favorite Puritan, in volume two of his collected works, says this regarding 
the fatherly love of God. This is so good. As we see the love of God, so much shall we delight more and more in Him. Every other discovery of God without this will but make the soul fly from Him. Stop. Do you hear that? See, see, Owen says, you may discover everything about the righteous standards of God, but if you don't see Him primarily as Abba, Father, you'll never be drawn to Him. But I think he's right. And you see the Abba, Father love in Christ most fully at the cross, where God took upon His body my sin, your sin. He says, it will make the soul fly from Him, But if the heart be once truly taken up with this supreme view of the Father's love, it cannot but be overpowered and conquered and endeared unto him. Overpowered, conquered, and endeared. Exercise your thoughts upon this very thing, the eternal, free, fruitful love of the Father, and see if your hearts will not be wrought upon to delight in him. I dare boldly to say to believers, the believers will find it as thriving a course as ever they pitch their lives upon to think of the love of the Father. Sit down at the fountain and you will quickly have a discovery of the sweetness of this stream. Run to the light. Last week I had a conversation with a man, a dear man uh, that I, I, I love. He's been a friend to me for years and years, and, and this very successful man was talking to a group of us, and he said, I, I've, I've just discovered, I've just discovered more and more through the months, last months, that my life is hanging by a thread. It's coming. My relationships, my finances, my work, everything, a thread. He said, I really thought by this age, he's almost 60 if you told me when I was 25 that I would be here and just make it, I, 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 I would not believe it. And he seemed very downcast and was in a group, and he kind of walked away. And as soon as I got to the car, I picked up the cell phone, I called him. I said, please, please, please call me. I, and so he called me 10 minutes later and said, how's it going? I said, well, no, you tell me how it's going. I said, you, you sounded incredibly bleak. He said, well, I'm going through a hard time. I said, I know you are. He said, but don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to do anything stupid today. I said, he said, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And he said this. He said, he said, I, he said Buster, I, I said my life is hanging by a thread. But you know, the truth is that all of our lives are hanging by a thread, including yours. And I said, Amen. It's true. See, I, I need to run to the light. I need to walk in the light. I need to embrace the hope that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That that when cancer or dementia takes your life, the next moment you're in the presence of God. If, If a murderer takes your life, and you're in Christ, and you've trusted in Him, the next moment you're in the presence of God, and you're in the best Bible study you have ever been in. You know what? You won't need a Bible in heaven. You'll have perfect knowledge. 
that are there. That, that, that Paul can say, for me to stay here is to have a fruitful ministry. And he says, that's good, but it's better by far to be in heaven. That's our hope. So this, this thing happened, and I was, on the, I was out of town. I was on the phone all day Thursday with people. What, you know, what are we going to do? And how do we respond? And texting, calling. And I, I called and I said, you know, I know this is, we, we couldn't plan for this, but we, we just need to pray. I said, I know there are going to be prayer meetings all over the city. I don't know what's going on. But let's just have a prayer meeting on Friday night. Just put it on the web. Just say we're going to be here at 7 o'clock. We'll pray because we just need to be with the people of God. So I came in out of town. We met here at 7 o'clock. We had a wonderful prayer time. And I was coming into town. Jean called me and said, there's a person here from an international relief organization. And she read about our prayer meeting. She's a cure. She says that she's a grief counselor. I said, wonderful. I said, God, good, you know. And she wants to meet with you before the prayer meeting. I said, I'll, I'll be there. And so I met her, and she was very kind. And, and we talked, and she said, where do you want me to stand? I said, just sit here among us. We're just going to pray and read the Bible and sing some songs and weep together and think. And, and that's what we did. And after it was all over, uh, she's standing back there, and she said, if you see somebody I need to talk to, I said, just look around. And I said, if you see people need help, Please talk to them. And I started engaging her. And she'd read about this prayer meeting. She came, she drove in from out of town, representing this organization. And I said, thank you for that. And I said, where are you from? And she says, well, I'm not from that city. I'm from upper state New York. And I said, wow. I said, it's pretty hot. And she said, yes, but you don't have to shovel heat. I thought that was a pretty good response. I said, ah, that's good. And then we started continuing talking after this prayer meeting. And I said, well, I said, oh, in your city, name the city, where do you worship? And she smiled sheepishly and looked down and she says, I, I'm not a worshiper. And by that time, somebody said, you need to talk to this person over here. And I turned and talked to that person over there, came back, and she had slipped out. Here's what I wanted to ask her. I want to say, first of all, thank you for caring enough to be here. Thank you to your organization was on the ground in Oklahoma City in 1995. Right Thank you that your, your group was on the ground at the Twin Towers hours after they fell. Thank you. But, but just let me ask you something. What do you say to people in grief counseling? Well, what do you say to people whose loved ones have been murdered or whose child has been killed what do you say? Because I, I, I've read their materials, and they're, they're good materials. They say things like, uh, you will get through this eventually. You'll, you'll go through the stages of grief that we all talk about, which involves denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance. You know, we talk about those stages. Or, or they say to people, in your despair, move forward and get to the place of acceptance. Let me tell you something. That doesn't work for me. We've got better stuff than that. You see, we say to people, don't despair because there's hope. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Don't despair because Abba Father is still king. 
Don't, don't give in to ultimate despair because this life is passing. We have a glorious hope. We have incredible joy. To be absent from the Lord is to be in his presence. That's our message. And that message has been, I think, communicated so well. So we grieve with those who grieve today. Um, and we're praying about what, we're, what we should do. And one thing we're going to do, church, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to take up what we call a love offering. Some of you may say, what's that? This is a special offering um, it's for the families of the victims at Emmanuel Church. And you can give money on the web. You can give money to ushers as you leave. You can give money to deacons, and they'll just drop it in the money slot in our offices. It's going to go to the church and say, here's an offering. Here's a tangible gift. We just want to stand with you people. That's one thing we're going to do. So may God give us grace to be the people of God. We'll stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, I, we stop now to pray and to call out in the name of Jesus, our mediator, our savior. Have mercy upon our brothers and sisters. Um, have mercy. We call out, uh, God, give us the grace of walking in the light and running to the light and glorying in the light. Give us the grace. Um, we thank you that we do not walk in despair because if we are in Christ, there is an eternal glory that awaits that is greater than any joy of this life. So bring comfort to our city, but particularly bring comfort to this, uh, this dear church, Emmanuel AME. And show us how to be brothers and sisters and how to walk in kindness and how to be the people you've called us to be, Lord. We really, really need grace. Um, so work in us and work through us and show us, show us, Lord, the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are compelled to walk with you. Do that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church.